catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hey guys, it's Mike. As you know, I adopted my pup Rocky from a local rescue. Now, when people ask me what kind of dog Rocky was, I was always stumped. I used an Embark Dog DNA test to decode my most puzzling questions about Rocky. You can also learn about your dog's inner secrets with Embark, the highest rated dog DNA test. Unlock over 350 breeds and screen for over 200 genetic health risks. Save $50 on a breed and health kit with promo code KIT at EmbarkVet.com. Again, that's promo code KIT. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. It's a, another film study as we look back at week 14. Kemi Cusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? 
I'm doing well. I mean, after a late night game, we finally, after this week, get to go back to Sundays for football. You know, I can't even tell you how much of a you know day on the beach it'll be to have a Sunday 1 p.m. game. It just screws up your whole sleep schedule to have analyze all night after a night game. It just sucks. Yeah, I um, I'm not jealous for your schedule right now <laughs> on having to do that. But hey, at least it was a Monday night and not a Tuesday or a Wednesday that you're trying to then cram in everything. Right. We're getting we're getting back, but these six day weeks, honestly, they're really constraining what the what the production material we have. Anyway. All right. Well, our guest today is uh, everybody knows if you're on Twitter, which I assume, or uh, Facebook, <laughs> or any type of social media. It's uh, Cassie Calvert, who is does all the social media stuff for um, the Ravens. You'll see her on videos, interviewing all the players throughout the week, and a whole lot more. How's it going? It's good, and I can relate to your earlier conversation. It was a late night for me as well. I'll be very, very happy to have a Sunday 1 p.m. kickoff after this wild Wednesday, Tuesday, Monday ride we have been on. So I feel you on that one. Do you, do you travel with a team, Cassie? This year, no. Unfortunately, due to COVID restrictions, everything is kind of super wacky. In a normal year, yes. So that is the one benefit is that I am home in bed a lot earlier than when we're on the road. But it's you definitely miss the atmosphere of, especially the plane rides home from a victory like that are insane. Um, so definitely a little jealous on that one, but I tuned into Marlon Humphrey's victory IG lives. So it kind of made me feel like I was there, but not the same, but I definitely, definitely missed that this year. All right. Outstanding. Certainly we're thrilled to have you here. Felt like a playoff game. I think uh, this last one, did you get that kind of vibe to it too? Absolutely. And I mean, in a certain way, it kind of is at this point, you know, all the rest of them really are playoff games, you know, it's win and get in and you don't want to leave it down to having the Dolphins or the Browns have to lose a certain number of games. It still kind of is um, to a certain extent, but you know, the Ravens control their own fate to a certain extent at this point. And I think that everyone kind of has adopted that mindset, um, which is huge. And you know, I looked back at like the Cleveland Browns game in was that 2016 with the CJ Mosley interception at the end of the game and I thought, you know, like nothing's going to top that, you know, sending us to the playoffs or like the Will Hill kick six, something like that on Monday night football in Cleveland and then this game certainly delivered just all the twists and turns at the end. I think coach Harbaugh said after the game like Hollywood could not have written a better script than that. And so it made the late night worth it, you know? Like, it certainly had all the elements you could ask for. Um, and I think this is one we'll certainly be talking about for years to come. Yeah, I want to I get back to that topic because I think you can make the argument that it was the greatest Ravens game of all time. But before we get to that, Josh has something to tell us. All right. I, I was going to say I, uh, that I agree. And there's, a, uh, there's only one game that I could relate this to. But let's get to the my bookie ad first. Uh, my bookie, you know, is sponsoring film study every week. We're constantly telling you guys. And hey, if you got on with the uh, Ravens yesterday and that three and a half point spread, you made some money yesterday on my bookie thanks to the Browns at the end of that game. So head on over to my bookie, make your deposit using the Ravens, and they'll match you halfway, giving you a head start on building your bankroll. For instance, if you put in $200 uh, and use the promo code Ravens, you'll get an extra $100 to play with. Joining and depositing is a simple process too, and it's quick. But more importantly, when it's time to get paid, that's quick too. So treat yourself to some extra cash in your pocket this holiday season by investing in your intuition. So head on over to my bookie and use the promo code Ravens to support film study. 
All right, let's get back to this notion that this might have been the greatest regular season game in, in history. And I think we have to qualify it because I think if we took look at the Mile High Miracle and all of the drama in that game, just the importance of the game would be ahead of it. I look to other games, playoff games in Ravens history, the 2000 game at Tennessee as being a really exceptional drama game. Certainly the, you know, the, the AFC championship in 2012 was another one, but there are certainly playoff games that would, would fit in this category. But in terms of a regular season game, I think you can really make the case this is the, this is the greatest. And so what I wanted to try and do was come up with one other game in history that I thought was close, at least. So the game I wanted to compare us to was the classic 2003 44-41 overtime win against Seattle. That was at home, of course. A great game. The Ravens rallied from 17 down with just over six minutes to play. Uh, to come back, tie it in regulation, win in overtime uh, on a on a Tucker field goal, Tucker field goal, a Stover field goal. Uh, but it, it, that game had everything. And I wanted to compare individual elements and really see what we had in that game. But you start off with the drama of the 2020 game, which certainly was Monday Night Football, had this wonderful back and forth drama nature to it that really maintained kind of a consistent level throughout the game, didn't it, Cassie? Certainly. And I think that that is really going to be something for years to come with this. You have Baker Mayfield of the Browns and Lamar Jackson, the Ravens, these two young quarterbacks. It's just the NFL loves the young, talented quarterback drama. And then you add in everything else, the Tyus Bowser interception, the Lamar running to the locker room, just the back and forth (laughs) of the game. And I like I again I just say like you could not write a script better than that. I loved the back and forth. A little stressful as someone who's trying to get tweets off and cut highlights when I can't even keep up with the highlights. That's when I know it's a good game. All right. So this game, of course, played in front of only I don't know how many fans. Might have been ten thousand, might have been fifteen thousand. It seemed like a little bit larger crowd than I'm used to for this year. Did you do you happen to know how many? I think you're right. I think it's about at that ten thousand mark, which is kind of wild because at this point the Browns are one of the few stadiums that are still allowing fans, um, which is kind of jarring, you know, in a year like this when we're not used to hearing that. But I kind of I kind of liked it, you know, having the fans in the the atmosphere. It definitely adds to that drama when you can hear the boos and the cheers and it's not just that constant crowd noise we've been getting on TV broadcasts. Yeah, they did a they did a good job with really talking about that and make it if you go back to the 2003 game of Seattle with the Ravens out of it, frankly, for most of that game and most of the second half anyway, a lot of fans had left. And the fans that were remaining were making as much noise as if a full stadium was there, which was really weird. But, you know, I'm one of these people who always stays to the end. And then we had people to meet afterwards. And it's a perfect situation because they'd already eaten their chicken wings and stuff at the bar. And you know, <laughs> we, we, <laughs> we go to meet them and they're, they're you know, they're already finished on their, they're on their second plate and whatnot. <laughs> it's pretty funny. But anyway, I, I, in terms of drama, that 2003 game had so many consecutive precipices that I really think in drama, it's pretty much a tie between those two games. And I know we've got some people who are probably younger listeners who don't really remember that 2003 game. It's going to be hard for me to make you commit to that. But what I will say is if you can go out and find that game, whether it's online or through a friend or whatever who might have a copy of it, great game to go back and watch if you have the chance. I love that the fans kind of evened out there, you know, because that's the thing that I feel like it's so hard to compare games this year to historical games because you miss that atmosphere. So I love that it's you found that similarity there. That's great. 
Let's talk playoff significance because that's another element. The Ravens were five and five in danger of obviously dropping to five and six. They ended up going on a five and one run under Anthony Wright, of all people, in 2003 in order to make the playoffs, in fact, to win the division at 10 and six. And this playoff team, this team rather, the 2020 team, we just don't know yet. Obviously, if they pivot and that fourth and five play becomes the springboard to a Super Bowl run, this game is going to go to number one easily. But in terms of play of significance now, I don't, I'm not sure we really know yet. You're, you're certainly right. If the, if the Ravens can't keep this rolling in the last couple of games of the season, this one, the significance changes very, very quickly here. We've got to keep the momentum going at that point. The human interest angles were interesting between these two games. In 2003, had a fantastic human interest angle to it. It was Anthony Wright, whose wife was going into labor that night. In fact, Billick gave her a game ball for deferring inducing labor until after the game. <laughs> and I don't remember if this was his first child, but it's a child. And it, it that should be a bigger human interest angle than everything. But this is a case where the status of the athlete magnifies the thing. So Lamar Jackson running to the bathroom or changing his shoes is a bigger human interest story than Anthony Wright having a child, which doesn't really seem fair. And yet that's life. I think part of it, too, is like sports Twitter these days. You know, any m- fun moment like that gets magnified a million times when it becomes viral. And you enter Lamar Jackson, this electric quarterback who's already a household name. And then you add in bathroom humor. And it just doesn't get better <laughs> than that for sports Twitter. Like, this is what people live for. And I love that Paul Pierce even, like, commented on it today. Yeah. And, you know, you, th- those are things that you don't have, like, before sports Twitter is a thing. So I just... And as a social media nerd, like those are the things that I love from anything from that to, you know, Trace McSorley going in the game and TikTok goes wild. And then you have him obviously, unfortunately, getting hurt. But then he's cheering on the sideline and that moment gets captured with the fan's cell phone, you know, and he's pumped when Lamar throws that touchdown to Hollywood Brown. And I get chills just like thinking about it because that's like the spirit of this team. And that's part of what I love about my job is that I get to like take these moments and share them with our fans. And I think that that just makes it all the more special, you know? So I, I gotta go, I'm biased, but I love 2020 on this one. It just doesn't get better than all the jokes people are getting off on this game. I I would agree that in terms of that, there's certainly 2020 is though, is the, is the winner on this one. In terms of statistical oddities, there was a incredible number in both games. The nine touchdowns rushing in this game Mm. is the most in NFL history. 1922 games are being compared. The 2020 game also included the most first downs allowed ever by the Ravens after they'd allowed the seventh most or eighth most first downs in team history last week to the Cowboys. They allowed 33 again. So defense has some holes right now. If I go back to the 2003 game, though, Marcus Robinson scored four touchdowns. One of, that's never happened by a Ravens receiver. Otherwise, uh, Ed Reed blocked the fourth and last punt of his NFL career. It was only his second year, only about 25 games into his career, maybe 29 games in. But anyway, he blocked the punt and, and returned that for a touchdown. Uh, both teams had exactly 426 yards. That's just kind of an oddity. And the Seahawks quarterback, Matt Hasselbeck, had five touchdowns, no interceptions, and lost the football game. Incredible. Uh, I think 2003 uh, wins that category. Not sure how important it is, but I think they win that category. All right, move on to analytics moments. Well, this this game had a couple. The first was being down 14, the Browns went for two, which is unusual. Billick did it once in 2001. No other coach had done it for a long time. 
it's the right play statistically for analytics nerds out there. Uh, it's one of the things I look for when I look at a two-point conversion chart is that the when you're down a the break-even probability of getting the two-point conversion has to be 38% or the charts or something wrong with the chart. And 38.2% is is the is the number. It's it's by the way, thank you, Mrs. Millar, for making me learn the binomial theorem. Actually, the binomial theorem. Whatever it's called, quadratic equation. Sorry, the quadratic equation. You have to use that to solve it. But thank you anyway for for teaching me that. It's the only use I've actually found, even though I'm an actuary. And that that was a cool one. The other analytics moment that I thought was kind of neat was the pass to Hollywood in the wide open. Would the Ravens actually have been better off if he hadn't scored on that play? The defense obviously having a lot of problems. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, too. And to go back to what you're talking about, the Browns there, I think it's really interesting that I think not a lot of fans realize that the Browns and the Ravens are two of the organizations that have some of the biggest statistical um, or groups within their organization. Both have really invested in that. And I think these are the kind of plays where it really comes down to that. I'm close friends with Daniel Stern, and I know he's been like a buzz guy on Twitter. People love to know kind of behind the scenes with him and he's up in the booth kind of helping coach Harbaugh make those decisions. And I'm sure the Browns have a comparable person as well, but it's really interesting that these football coaches, and I think DaCosta is a huge part of that too. Mm -hmm. He's been huge in analytics and has really kind of buffed that up in his tenure as GM. But these guys, like that's what their bread and butter is. And they're analyzing these situations throughout the week. And so he has a you know, like a plan for every possible situation that could arouse. And he's in Coach Harbaugh's ear, you know, telling him what decision to make. And obviously Coach Harbaugh at the end of the day has the, has to make the decision on his own, but kind of giving him those statistical probabilities that you're talking about in each of those situations. So it's just fascinating to me that this is an entire career, you know, like right there making those judgment calls going for two. That He's huge on fourth down as well. You know, like what at what point on the field – do you decide to go for it on fourth down? What yardage and where are you on the field? You know, what plays into all of that? What what plays have you been able to successfully run in the game so far? So they're crunching all those numbers, which is fascinating to me. So Cassie, I, I'd ask you a question about Daniel's job. Do you know, are they now allowed to use computers on that headset loop? There was a time when they weren't. Anyway, if you don't know the answer, I'd love to hear from you at some point, if you can ask Daniel that. I asked about it about nine years ago when Matt Weiss was the guy on the headset loop and they were not allowed to use computers at that time, but they all have those surface machines on the sidelines. Seems like that would have some calculation abilities. You know, I think you're right. I think computers, I'm not a thousand percent sure, but I think computers is still not the case. Um, but I do think that just they've done a lot of that in advance, you know, mm-hmm. like a lot of the mathematical things that they need to do. So they're kind of prepared for any situation that could arise. Right. I, I agree. I, I thought about how you would do that if you didn't have a computer and it'd be easy to have a set of worksheets that you use a, a grease pencil in a book or whatever, and you could do it pretty quickly. So it wouldn't be a it's 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 definitely a solvable problem that you wouldn't need a calculator for. Sometimes I think my job is stressful. And then I remember people are doing math in the middle of a football <laughs> game. You know, and I'm like, I just send the tweets. <laughs> All right. I wanted to talk also about memorable individual plays and compare that to the 2003 and 2020 games. The 2020 game certainly has the fourth and five play, which will go down as one of the greatest in Ravens history and one of the ones we'll always remember. One of the statistics I heard today about that is that at the snap of that play, the Ravens had a 56% chance to make the playoffs. You probably saw this already. Okay, so after the, after the completion to Brown went for the touchdown, 82% chance to make the playoffs. 26% leverage on one play. So, and you felt that, you know, like it's one of those things, like I felt that 30% change, like that just, you know, it turned everything around so quickly. And it's crazy to see that 
statistically, that's the case as well. Yeah. Outrageous. Uh, there were other memorable plays in this game. I thought McSorley's third and 10 completion to Sneed was an absolutely huge play that, you know, it may be one, it may be the last completion of McSorley's com- career. We'd have to think that's re- a reasonable possibility. I know the injury does not seem as serious anymore, but he's not going to play the rest of this regular season, probably wouldn't play in the postseason. Next year, there'll come a decision point on whether he's mm-hmm. the he's the backup or not. So it's, you know, it's always a question, but boy, was that an important throw in this game. Absolutely right. And I think that's super underrated. I don't think that many people are talking about that. And just Willie Sneed performance in these last couple of games, regardless, like he has become, especially in Mark Andrews' absence, he's become that guy that's just, he's going to catch the ball. He's going to make the play. And I, I give props to Trace for coming out there and making that play. And you, you, he, that's not a game he's expecting to go in, you know, and just such a wild situation to make that play and set us up well. And Lamar is able to thankfully to come out there and finish the game. But yeah, I think it's going to be a tough Tough decision for um, in the in the quarterback room um, come the offseason this year. So if you think about the the plays that are very memorable from 2003, they not, not only had the Reed punt block, Ray Lewis, after a face mask penalty had given Seattle a first down, pulled the ball away from the fullback and one of the most incredible induced fumbles I've ever seen. Uh, Wright had a fourth and 28 completion that went for 44 yards. It was tipped by Robinson to Sanders for a completion that an OPI call with 39 seconds left that put the Ravens in field goal range. They stopped the Seahawks on fourth and one whole bunch of things went on. They had a completion in, in overtime. There are probably 15 plays individually in that game that were just so memorable. I just don't think the 2020 game is on the same level in terms of that kind of remarkable. So I give 2003 the advantage in this case. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think you have the, off the top of my head, I'd go like the Tucker kick, you know, that Hollywood Brown touchdown. Mm-hmm. And you have probably that, honestly, that Trace McSorley, Willie Sneed play to set all that up. And other than that, it, it was a crazy game, but there's not those, you know, those specific plays. Now, in the moment, they're fantastic because of what the situation is. But I also that Mark Andrews first down um, yep. where they extended that play. That's another one. But, you know, it, the, the touchdowns in that game were not the thrilling part because so much of that had already happened. Yep, I, I agree completely. Uh, the overcoming adversity, while the fourth and five TD was fairly remarkable, the 2003 team in that game got pushed to the precipice about 10 times, I'm going to say, where any result would have lost them the game. And the, the Ravens were never in that dire situation until fourth and five, that it was then or never uh, to, to win that game. So that, that I think 2003 gets it that way. I, I you know, ev- this, Everybody's going to make their own choice on this. And people of this generation are going to choose this game as, as the greatest, whereas people of my generation, I'll call it, since I've been here since the beginning, will take either that Jacksonville 2000 game or that 2003 game against the, against the Seattle – I'm trying not to review this as there is any particular golden age because I think this is the golden age of the Ravens right now. Uh, you know, I, I'm trying to just analyze these two games fairly and see which is one. I think 2003, for the moment, is ahead. But if this is the start of a playoff springboard, maybe that's the, this this becomes the game. I think there might be like a little twinge of nostalgia in there too, which is fair. Like I think in a couple, in like what, 17 years from now, this is going to be a little more nostalgic as well, but I I feel you on that. And I think that you're right. I think that we are in a really special age of Ravens football. You, this is the first time that I'm aware of where you've had such an exciting offense and such a dominant defense. And I think the Ravens of the past, you've always had that defensive mentality and just to have a quarterback like Lamar Jackson and to have him on his rookie contract for years to come and know that, you'll have him as a Raven. That's just, it's exciting. And I think that 
it's such a flip, you know, when I first came and we had Joe Flacco and great quarterback, you know, but the offense is not what people are talking about the next day, you know, Mm -hmm. and you're at this point where you have this marvelous quarterback who can make a play at any moment and make something special happen. And it's the Ravens have always had that on defense, you know, but to have it on both sides of the ball is just especially remarkable. And to, and that's a credit to Eric DaCosta and John Harbaugh for building this team and Ozzie Newsome the way that they have, but I will be excited to see what this team can do in the future. And, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to winning Super Bowls. So if they can make that happen, then I think certainly this would be the golden age to me. These last two games, do they feel different to you in terms of Lamar Jackson coming back? Absolutely. And I think he talked about that, you know, like coming back from COVID, he just kind of had this renewed joy, you know, once you, he's always a joyful guy, always happy playing football, loves the game. No one has ever doubted that when he hasn't been taken away from you for two weeks and you can't do what you love. I think it just really gives you that extra appreciation. And he has been so fired up to be back every day. Guys are talking about how happy he is at practice, you know, just to do the little things. Guys were excited to get back in the weight room when they got back and carbs is like, I have never heard guys so excited to go get their lift in, you know? So I think it just really magnifies that. And I think he plays when he's loose and he's happy, he plays like Lamar Jackson. And that is a very, very special thing. I think just some things have kind of come together, you know, at the same time, we're getting guys healthy as well. You know, all those things have kind of lined up. And even I looked at that Steelers game, it just felt different. You know, like you have guys out there who not not our starting lineup, you know, we were going through all the COVID um, restrictions and the guys were on the COVID list and just the battle, like the fight that I saw on that team that week, I just, it really changed the tone of the season for me. Now we've got guys healthy and I've kind of bought into that, you know, and it just, that momentum shift, I think has been huge. And that is definitely big going down the stretch, the end of a football season. So I think one thing that was tough about last year is I think a lot of people felt that we peaked too early, you know? And so if December is when we're getting hot, that is never a bad thing for December football. Yeah. The early Harbaugh years were full of great December football that got him into the playoffs and, and uh, you know, they were having a battle for these, to these final weeks to guarantee their spot uh, in several of those years, 2008, at least 2009 also. So, and they made good deep playoff runs both of those years, at least to the divisional round once the AFC championship. So I want to go back to a point you made also about getting healthy at the right time, because there's one position where the Mm -hmm. Ravens can't seem to stay healthy, and that's a (laughs) cornerback. Um, They activated only six defensive backs for this game. I think the weather probably had something to do with it. Nikesi, you probably saw on social media or on wherever that there were 25-plus mile-per-hour winds were forecast for the game. Yeah, and I don't think that really materialized quite like people thought that, thought it was going to, but the weather in Cleveland is never great. And, you, I mean, you saw missed kicks, you know, mm-hmm. and that the way that the wind kind of shuffles through that stadium, it's just right there in the water, you know, it's it's freezing there always, mm-hmm. first of all, and just adding the elements of weather in, you're totally right. Like, that definitely plays a factor in the game. And Tucker even talked about that a little at the end of the game. He's like, you know, I don't ever want to make it sound like harder that my job is harder than it actually is, but like lining up to take that kick, the wind swirling, you know, and you have to factor all of that in. And obviously he successfully did, but definitely a factor in making game decisions for sure. Yeah. I, in, in terms of what the Ravens did in this game, they activated five defensive linemen, which I thought was very important against the Browns because they play very heavy sets 
and the Ravens were going to probably have to play more base defense. Well, not only did they have to play more base defense, which you're going to get to, they also had to play a lot more defensive snaps because the Browns really won the snap count battle pretty significantly. So it ended up being a very big deal that they did activate that fifth defensive lineman. Matabike was there. He played well. Honestly, Calais Campbell, who was there, did not play particularly well, and, and they really needed him to take less snaps as the game went on in this one. Yeah, he's a guy who's been just kind of dealing with a lot. You know, he didn't practice most of last week. He's just came off the COVID list. He's a guy that has asthma, high risk, you know. Mm -hmm. He tweeted that COVID hit him pretty hard, you know. So he's still feeling the effects of that, even before that, dealing with the calf injury. So he's kind of a guy that's still trying to work his way back. I think it was a game time decision. You know, he got out on the field pregame. The trainers kind of walked him through it, looked at if he was going to be able to play or not. And didn't look great, to be honest, you know, like the reporters there reporting that he was kind of walking gingerly off the field, still was able to go and played some snaps like you talked about. But yeah, I think he's still just like trying to get back healthy. And he's obviously when he is healthy, he's dominant out there. So hopefully that's something that can happen down the stretch here and we can get him back at full capacity if the Ravens do are able to make the playoffs. Okay, so the Ravens went with only eight defensive backs active for the games, four corners and four safeties. Their four safeties really include two dedicated special teams players and Anthony Levine, who has played defense before, and Jordan Richards, who never plays defense, even though he did in Atlanta. Um, And Richards got a snap, which is very unusual, um, on the final play of the game, which is more like a special teams play. Levine got five snaps as the slot corner, two other at safety during this game, which is a, a big workload for him. He, he, he was a great dime in 2018. We're a couple of years past that. Anthony Levine is not the same player he was, and they're not relying on him for dime defense anymore. So they really only left themselves six defensive backs for five spots that they use in their nickel. And of course, they got two injuries. And now they're down to four defensive backs for five spots they have to play in the nickel. And the Browns know it. And they're putting on mostly 11 personnel and trying to force the Ravens into the nickel, which meant that they had to go with Levine at at slot corner for a while. They had to at first put Harris in and they did some targeting of him. Uh, But they what I want to focus on was who they activated in order to that they had to activate only six defensive backs they really wanted to use or eight in total. And there are three guys on the roster that come to mind. The first is Mark Ingram, who played only one snap. Yeah, I think that a lot of people have brought this up in the last 24 hours, and I will be interested to see how it plays out going forward because, to your point, his snaps have extremely gone down in the last couple of games, you know, even coming back off the COVID list and everything. So if you're not not playing – you know, using an active roster spot and you have Anthony Averett inactive, um, especially with Jimmy Smith battling injuries here. And we don't know what his status will look like for the next game. So that roster spot becomes really, really valuable. Even some of the practice squad guys that they're able to call up on game day now due to the COVID rules this year, um, that last spot is going to be very highly contested. And I don't see how going forward, you don't have Anthony Averett active on game day. They were really, really excited to get him back. We talked about him, Um, activating him back off IR. And I think part of it too plays into that he is coming off an injury still um, and still working him back. But I think that going forward, you know, this is the time bread and butter for him to earn his money. Like you got to show up and show out because Jimmy has just been battling through it all year. And you see Marcus Peters go down in the game and he's been working through injuries all season. He's clearly not healthy and is still going out there and playing. Coach Harbaugh actually (laughs) shared kind of a funny story after the game that 
uh, Marcus just went back on the field. You know, like no one really cleared him to go back after his injury. And their coach is like, Marcus is out there and turns to our trainer, Ron, and is like, did you clear Marcus to go back there? He's like, Marcus is on the field. And so Marcus just decided he was going to, he wanted this game won and he went out there and was going to do something about it. And I think that's just kind of his mentality. He's a dog out there and he is always going to go out there and make the play, but he is again, just not healthy. And we got it. Like Eric DaCosta always says, you can never have enough corners. And this is why, because we're in December and we need more corners. And you kind of looked at the roster going into training camp. We're like, the Ravens have all this depth in the secondary and the, the guys they do have are fantastic, but you never have enough corners and Anthony Aver is going to have to be out there going forward. Yeah. I, I love that story because I didn't know that first of all. And second of all, the announcers were kind of making fun of the fact that maybe mm. Peter's pride was hurt on that touchdown. Yeah. Race. I did not okay. like that. Yeah. They were like, <laughs> it was his ego. He wasn't actually hurt. Like, no, no, he was not even cleared <laughs> to be back there in the field. That. Marcus Peters is not an ego kind of guy when it comes to his game. So I, yeah, I just love his mentality, his ferociousness. I mean, we've seen it in primetime games. I always loved that Rams game last season where, Mm -hmm. you know, he had the little bit of extra juice that game, little revenge there, but he always shows out in primetime and he just, he loves game of football and you you definitely tell. Yeah, he's very he's very smart about everything he does on the football field, particularly in terms of jumping a route. But he's also selectively physical in a way that is very smart. That's exactly how I want my cornerbacks to play. I don't want them to get hurt. I don't want them always to be third man into the pile, even if they have a chance to maybe punch for the football loose. It's it's a percentage game at that point. He really needs to make sure he can play all the snaps he can because he's the best we have other than Humphrey. I, yeah, you're so right. I think that's such an underrated part of his game. He's so cerebral and he watches so much film. And I think people don't talk about that enough. Like he, he's a little Ed Reed to me in that way. You know, like he knows what the quarterback's tendencies are. And Marlon Humphrey has talked a lot about learning that from him um, as he's uh, they've been together the last two years. Like he watches every all the film. He wants to know what the quarterback's going to do. And so it enables him to kind of make those in-game decisions and make it a little more instinctual when you're in the game and you've done all that preparation. The guys always talk about how well Marcus knows the game, and it definitely shows in his own game in that way. All right. Well, let's move on to, to the defensive line. They activated five defensive linemen in this game. Campbell's loss of effectiveness, obviously impacted the situation in terms of who they had to get snaps out of. Wink Martindale, master of snap count. We always talk about this on this show is how well he manages to keep players rested, keep the team in good shape for the fourth quarter when other teams can't even draw a breath oftentimes against the Ravens offense. Uh, the, the, the Ravens defense can still be effective at that point. Uh, Wolf and Iron Man so far this year. Yeah, I love that you said that. Well, Wink is such a wizard and he was praising Wolf this week. He just said, or Brandon Williams actually said that he's going to hunt like that. It's in his name. You know, he's the wolf and he's going to go out there and hunt. And he has been so clutch for the Ravens this year. I mean, obviously you can't foresee Calais getting injured, Brandon Williams getting put on the COVID list twice, Calais getting put on the COVID list, but Derek Wolf has just been a dog in there. And then we we thought we were going to have, you know, three of them, the, the trio all season long. And that has not been the case, but Derek Wolf has that roster move has just looked better and better to me as the season goes on. Again, you can't predict all those things are going to happen, but thank goodness we have had him in there because I do not know both, with both of those guys out what we would have done. And I think that he has been a huge, great fit um, in this defense. The guys all love him. I think he's been a really natural locker room fit as well. He's really bought in, and I think that it's paid off in the field 100%. Very exciting to hear them talking about an extension for him. So that's that's one of the things we've really been looking forward to. 
I've made the point during this season and before it that the Ravens need to get younger, need to expend draft picks on the defensive line because all their all their talent now, with the exception of Matabike, is thirty and up. So they really need need to need to find a way to get the right guy extended out of this, which I think might be Wolf at this point. They got one more year of Campbell, one more year of Williams, right? That's correct. Yeah, I believe so. And 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 no more years of Wolf if they don't re-sign him. Right. So, so they've got to, they probably want to re-sign him and they probably want to at least spend one draft pick on the defensive line. And they don't have a whole lot of draft picks coming this year. Yeah, you're so right. And I think that's one where some of the guys have been strikeouts, you know, and you've got to hit on those picks as well. You're making those defensive line picks. They can't always be the, the end of the draft kind of guys, you know, when you want that guy who's going to be able to come in and contribute quickly. Really excited about what we've seen from Matabuke so far. I really hope that he can further develop. I love that the guys have really taken him under their wing. Pernell McBee, especially, like always talks about him. But you're right. You kind of have to have someone to tie you over in the meantime. And looking forward, I think Derek Wolf is a great fit there. I think this offseason is going to be tough because there are a lot of guys due for mm-hmm. extensions and the money is going to make some decisions challenging this year for sure. Um, but I do think that they'll look to get some depth there in the draft in, in April. Yeah. Matty BK, I, I couldn't be more excited about his game. I thought it was probably his best so far. A uh, couple pressures, played the run well, pursued well down the line of scrimmage. I loved everything about what he did in this game. Let's talk packages for a minute. I'm going to go through these fairly quickly here, but but uh, if you uh, want to say anything at all, we'll, we'll fit you right in. Jumbo, we'll talk about that three defensive backs. They didn't play a single snap of that. They never got into a goal-to-go situation inside the five-yard line. So not too surprising that would happen. I mentioned the high percentage of base snaps. That's a regular 3-4 defense. They used that against a, a 12 and 13 personnel 24 times. Uh, I think they had six yards per play on that. I'm not looking at my totals right here, and I ought to be doing that. So let's make sure I bring up the right thing here. All right, I will. Um, anyway, 100, 144 yards. Uh, Jumbo Nickel, they played six snaps. Now, that's a package we talk about on this show a little bit, but one inside linebacker, but still three down linemen. So it's a fairly large commitment to defensive line total snaps in there. Um, that was uh, effective. Six plays, 24 yards, and the Bowser interception came down a Jumbo Nickel. They used that against 11 personnel. It's just a, a different sort of a look. Uh, every once in a while that they that they want to use instead of the uh, standard nickel in that situation. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, Baker Mayfield actually talked about that at the end of the after the Browns in the post game and just the vision that he didn't see Tyus Bowser there, a little deception there as he came across. And Tyus just had great vision on that play. Judon talked about it after the game. They actually did their post-game press conference together. And Tyus is a guy I know we'll get to him in a little bit, but super underrated. And I just thought it was great vision on him to get in there and make that play with the one-handed catch as well. I love that. Yeah, that's that's a that is a very difficult catch. It's a difficult catch for a receiver to make, but it's definitely a difficult catch for a linebacker to make. And I, I, Tyus Bowser's coverage ability is so underrated. He is the is by far. It's not even close that he's the best coverage linebacker on the Ravens, and that is so rare that that's an outside linebacker as opposed to an inside linebacker. Very very rare. So we're already talking about one of the most valuable Sam linebackers in the league. He hasn't done too much on the pass rush because they use him so much to drop the coverage in these third down situations. But when he does, he he rushes the passer effectively as well. I hope the Ravens are able to re-sign him, and he's the kind of guy that maybe this is a good year uh, where you where you sign him for three years and it's just that much less. But I, I unfortunately, I kind of feel like he's going to get paid this offseason. 
yeah, three interceptions the last four games, you know, he's, he's not going to fly under the radar much longer and he's got a payday coming for him for sure. I would love the Ravens to lock him down. Best, one of the best attitudes on the team. Great. Just great all around dude. So very, very happy for his success. All right, let's move on. The standard nickel, they play 26 times. Uh, that's a regular two two down linemen, two outside linebackers, two inside linebackers. 26 plays, 148 yards on that. Nothing, by the way, so far has been that great, but we're going to get to the package that really beat the Ravens in a moment. Um, the alternate base package is one they use that kind of is like a big nickel. Now, they've been using Chris Board on the field as a proxy safety, as I call it. The Ravens don't have a third safety on this team that they really want to put in the game. So they have their two safeties, and thank God they haven't gotten hurt. Uh, they're basically playing every single snap. But then they use Chris Board as what would normally be a dime back on those typical third and medium, third and long situations. They also use him as a third inside linebacker in what would be a big nickel formation where he plays kind of slot corner. So he, they've got a lot of different uses for Chris Board. Yeah, he's just a really athletic guy. And a lot of guys have talked about that coming out of college. You know, he's one of the most athletic guys um, at his school. So I just think that Wink is just, you know, again, a wizard, very acute to like all the versatility of his players. And he's going to use guys in ways that he can. And Chris Board's athleticism, I think, really plays into that for sure. All right. They've been during the Wink era, they made a tremendous use of extra outside linebackers on the field. And that's why the Ravens can have five active outside linebackers on game day, where most other teams can only really take four. But they use this rush nickel package where they use three outside linebackers. They did that six times in this game. Moderately successful, six plays, 34 yards. They had it in at the end of the half. They have it in uh, on some other plays during the game where it was second and medium. Uh, race car nickel was the package they played 11 times. Now, that's the four outside linebacker package. So, by the way, Cassie, I don't know if you know this. This never had been used before 2018 when we got here that the Ravens had put four outside linebackers on the field at one time. Never before used. They did it six times that year. Almost every play was remarkably successful in fact they did three times against buffalo was sack interception sack in that game three more times against denver total net of zero yards on all the plays for the year and then in 2019 it suddenly was 13.2 percent of the snaps for the entire season a lot of that fueled by the fact that the ravens led most of the year but they played that defense more than they played the base defense all of a sudden a defense that just pretty much i'll call it invented the year before just discovered to be valuable the year before and I love having a defensive mind like that who is inventing things, you know, yeah. like that. That's huge for the Ravens, a team that's always defensive minded. But I think that having that guy who's in there, I am praying, praying, praying that the day never comes when Wink Martindale takes a head coach job because yeah. I think the Ravens will be truly missing him. But I just think he's been a great fit. Be, again, being able to use the players that he has in creative and inventive ways, I think has made the Ravens such a challenge to base defensively. Yeah, I, I you know I assume Wink wants a head head coaching job, but maybe if there's if there's not too much difference in the money, if you can make half as much as a defensive coordinator with the Ravens, would he still want to keep that job? I'm sick. I'm like somehow hoping that that would that could work out, but you know it's there's going to come a time I'm sure when they can't keep him anymore. He's just he's too damn good. It worked for Eric DaCosta. You know, he waited quite a long time after Ozzie Newsom, so maybe it'll work for Ming Martindale, too. Yeah, do you get the sense that a lot of that was Lacey and her career that kept Eric around, or do you think it was really based on Eric and what's going on? Because my understanding, she's a doctor, correct? I'm not sure exactly, um, but she's great. They, she definitely has Baltimore roots. Her dad is a big was a big part of Baltimore as well, um, of the Ravens. And I think that 
he it's really I my understanding has always been that it's really part of it is his relationship with Ozzy. I think he just really relished working directly with him. They're such good friends. He was such a great mentor to him and they have such a great relationship. And I think knowing that eventually that was a possibility for him obviously was huge. And that was kind of a promise in there at some point um, as it kind of progressed. But I think he really relished working for that. They love having their family here. You know, they've built a life together to your point um, locally and they love the Baltimore community. Lacey's a huge part of that. She's always doing great things on Twitter for the Baltimore community. And I, I think they really just love being here. You know, obviously he's a, DaCosta's a Boston guy originally, but I think mm-hmm. that Baltimore has really been a great fit for them. And I think I love that he made that decision for his family. You know, I think a lot of times you see GMs take these um, roles at teams, you know, where it's not the greatest fit personality wise or family wise or like culture wise, you know, and I think it's, prudent and smart, you know, recognize that you have a good situation and that this is going to be the best opportunity for you. Because I think as a general manager, you know, if you, if you don't have success the first time, it's really, really hard to continue that. And I think he knew that Baltimore would be a place where he could have success versus going to a team, you know, that's coming off a two and 14 season or whatever, you know, and doesn't have draft picks to work with and kind of being able to obviously have a role in building the team going forward and helping make some of those decisions that would later set you up when you are GM. And I think that um, it's just been a really natural transition, which is great for players. It's great for agents. It's great for people like me and the organization who already have a relationship with the guy who comes in and takes over as general manager and just makes it a much more successful move for an organization versus, you know, bringing in a guy who has a completely different philosophy. And I think that's a credit to Steve Bishotti for, you know, kind of aligning that and, and Harbaugh just having great relationship with both of them, which is, you know, again, just such an underrated thing that the Ravens are blessed to have, you know, a head coach and a GM who works so well together. Yeah. It, for them to even be able to flip roles and, you know, still be around is remarkable. But I want to go back to Bishotti for a second, because I think his presence as a, you know, a guy who's made his career with a lot of good hiring decisions, you know, and 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 being really smart about that. I don't mean made his NFL career. I mean made his whole business career mm-hmm. based on this. Um, well, what I was impressed with probably the most of Bishotti's stuff since he's been with the Ravens, and there's been a lot of things I've been very impressed with, was when they hired John Harbaugh in 2008, they sent the season ticket holders out a magazine, the offseason, telling exactly what their process had been to make that decision. And it's it's wonderfully well-written. I, I took it to work and I handed it out to the senior management team. And I said, you know, this this is just fantastic. Everybody handed out, hands out their little books at work, like when Harry Potter ran, G, if Harry Potter ran GM and that sort of thing. This was, this was a really cool and terse way to go ahead about interviewing and selecting a candidate that really made a ton of sense. And the, the Harbaugh hire was a great one. Uh, I, I, Bishotti right at the top of the pyramid, you know, obviously had a big hand in that one. Absolutely. I think one of the most underrated things about the Ravens organization is that he's run it successfully as a business. You know, like I think you kind of look at these other teams and it's family run and obviously that's really powerful, but it doesn't always come down to the best business decisions. And I think he's done a great job of steering the organization in a good, in a good direction, you know, and that goes from making head coach and GM hiring decisions to, you know, putting the right people in place on the business side as well to hire people beneath them to make, to kind of oil the machine and keep it going. You know, like all the things that people don't see, the kind of less glamorous roles as well. And part of that is just treating your employees like successful, you know, like a successful business treats their employees. You know, you don't always see that. I've worked other places in the sports industry and, you know, 
the way that employees are valued at the Ravens, whether you're a coach or you're on the business side, makes people happy and it makes people feel valued and, you know, work better for the team that they're employed by. And I think that just kind of propels the organization forward. And it's such a special part of the Ravens. And I think that's all credit to him, to your point. It's, it's great to hear that from somebody in the inside the organization. And, and I can tell you out there, it does impact who we can get as players in this town and what the product looks like in the field. I'm going to say one more thing about this is that Steve Bishotti, while he runs this as a business, he doesn't run it as a tightly run family business like, say, the Bengals do, where it, you're almost stuck by constraint, you know, have financial constraints that keep you from putting on the best product on the field. Steve Bishotti put in, I think it was $32 million to build the rest of the castle in terms of cost overruns. That has paid enormous dividends for this team over the years. They've expanded it again you know, recently, but, but the, uh, the investment in the castle itself has been one of the greatest recruiting inducements this team could have. You're so right. And I think to your point that plays off in, even in free agency, you know, you look at what college football teams do to bring in recruits and that doesn't stop when you get to the NFL. You know, if a player walks into the Under Armour Performance Center, they're going to be impressed and, you know, like not to continually kick on them, but like the Bengals practice field is a bubble, you know, and you, you're a player and you're looking at Cincinnati and it's the winter and you're going to be playing outside in a bubble or you're going to be at the Ravens and have this beautiful indoor practice facility, you know, like those decisions, like, play a factor you know you want to be somewhere where you're comfortable and can have success you know and i think that's a huge part of recruiting free agent talent yep great point i want to go back to the race car now let's get back to the defense a little bit <laughs> but they, they they had 11 plays and gave up 132 yards so 12 yards per play one of the worst performances by this by this group of the season but the last five times it was on the field Pass middle for 12, pass right for 21 in the touchdown, pass left for 30 on that first play of the touchdown drive, pass left for 16, and pass left for 22 for the touchdown to tie the game. Kind of a dog down the stretch for the defense, but uh, but it's been a package that's served Martindale well, certainly. And you know what? I don't know how you feel about this, Cassie, but I was happy the Browns scored when they did because it gave the Ravens the chance to drive for the winning score. I, I was a lot more fearful that they would use up the entire clock and the game would come down to a – uh, an overtime coin flip that would give the Ravens a lot less chance to win the game. Yeah, I completely agree. I didn't want to see this game go to overtime. I wanted to be able to run it in regulation. And Judon was Matthew Judon was actually asked about that in the post-game press conference. And he was like, you know, I wanted to get the stop there. You know, like I didn't want them to score at all. And so he wasn't really quite willing to jump on board with that logic. But I absolutely agree. You know, you want to get the ball back with enough time there and just – kind of get them off the field. You know, if it's, if it's inevitable, it's inevitable. Let's move on. Let's, let's get the ball back. All right. And then of course, Lamar did his thing and, and took him right down the field. Uh, let's move on. Two snaps a dime. We don't need to talk about that. Talk a little bit about the pass rush. Uh, Mayfield had ample time and space on 13 of 48 dropbox. That's a three second pocket as I define it with room to step into the throw. It's, it's an, it's ample because you don't very often get it. When you do get it, you really ought to make something of it. It's down to 27%, which is a little below average for this day and age. It's probably about 35% has been average. Uh, but it's it was as high as 50% 10 years ago when I started charting this on a regular basis. So uh, definitely the amount of time that that um, quarterbacks have and the, and the focus on getting a fast pressure on the quarterback has been greater in recent years. What's exciting about this game – there were, there were 15 balls that were out quickly. Let me make sure I have this correct. 16 balls are out quickly. 
So that's, that accounts for 29 of them total. And then there were 19 pressure events on 48 dropbacks. That's a 40% rate, really good rate for the Ravens in this game. Now, they didn't get sacks, but they did get four quarterback hits within three seconds. They got another quarterback hit that was after three seconds and led to an intentional grounding. And then they got 15 pressures within three seconds. Yeah, I think the the sack point is just that that's been the one stat that's been missing the last couple of weeks. And that's been the question about Unique Ngakwe since he's gotten here. Like, when are the sacks going to come? When are the sacks going to come? And Wink Martindale has talked about that ad nauseum. But I think that to your point here, like the first half, he had a lot of pressure. Oh, you know, yeah. it's, just, it's just that finishing that's not there, but he's still making Baker get the ball out. And Baker, to his credit, especially on the one, like made a really great play. But like the pressure is still there. The sacks are what people look for. But I feel like even last or two years ago, you look at Matthew Judon, there was no sacks, no sacks. And that was just a huge question mark there. And then he rips off a game where there's three against the Raiders. So I think it's just those numbers will come. But he he was certainly in Baker's face for much of that first half. Yes. And Gakwe had five pressures. I scored it. He had another quarterback hit and he had another pressure that was wiped out on a penalty, the offensive pass interference penalty, I think. So it was a it was a fine game for Gakwe. It might be his best game yet. The strip fumble is going to be hard to beat. Um, He did have uh, a a lot of impact on this game and he does a lot of complimentary things. Well, he's like Wolf as an under guy on stunts in a different way because he fans out that tackle so far, it creates a gaping B gap. The Ravens can use for stunts and blitzes and other things that will help them get after the quarterback in different ways. So I love the way he rushes the quarterback. I think it's highly complimentary what they do. And I actually think in this game, he certainly created enough pressure, pressure to justify what the, what the Ravens paid to get him. And hopefully down the stretch, that'll, that'll continue. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, why don't we – I want to talk a little bit about more about the pass rush here. They rushed five-plus on 22 of 48. That's 46%. Above their season average, they're still using numbers to pressure Mayfield. They were much more effective rushing five-plus than they were rushing six in this game. So when they rushed five-plus, they gave – sorry, when they rushed four or fewer, they gave up 9.3 yards per play. When they rushed five-plus – they gave up 4.6 yards per play, including the only turnover. So big difference there, obviously, rushing numbers. Mayfield's not a guy who likes to be moved around in that pocket. Yeah, and their offensive line has been playing lights out this year. I mean, Harbaugh talked about that's the huge difference between this week and week one when we saw the Browns. You know, their offensive line has stayed healthy, which is such such a luxury, especially mm-hmm. when you have great running backs like they do. And they've been able to protect him this year. I mean, you look, he hadn't had an interception in the last five games, I believe. So he's had time, you know, to make those good decisions. And besides Ty, the Tyus Bowser one this week, obviously, but I think the, their Browns offensive line has been a huge part of that. And it was a great, great battle for our defense for sure. Yeah, that, that's the best offensive line in football. The Ravens don't have a better offensive line. They're going to have to fear facing come, you know, the weeks ahead, the eight weeks ahead, we hope, uh, you know, <laughs> leading into February. Um, the Ravens used a fair amount of deception. I want to just blitz by this really quickly. 13 blitzes from off the line of scrimmage, 13 stunts. They did a fair amount of that. When you have a quarterback like Mayfield, you have more time to stunt. Look in the article if you want more details about that. Nine drops, that's simulated pressure where they had two-plus dropping from the line of scrimmage. They wove that together a fair amount in this game. Much more detail in the article. I'd point you to that. Cassie, I want to talk about individual players. And you're the guest here, but what we usually do is you come up with one player you really want to talk about, what you liked about their game, then I'll, I'll do one and we'll alternate. I mean, if we're talking defense here, I'm going to have to go with Marlon Humphrey right off the bat. I 
I know I'm biased, but I just don't understand why he's not getting any defensive player of the year buzz. I know there's a lot of guys having great seasons around the NFL, but he set a franchise record this week for forced fumbles in a season. That extension is looking really good right about now. I'm so happy to already have him locked down. He's actually the only player in the NFL right now to have two forced fumbles this season already. And I just think that he, more fumbles, obviously, than any Ravens defender in team history. And he's a cornerback, and there's still three games left, you know, so he's not done yet. That that fruit punch, you know, he talks about how he watches film and Charles Tillman and the peanut punch. And I think he's he's going to go down, you know, that's going to go down in history as his thing someday, too. You know, like there are being players watching him, watching film now, looking to Marlon Humphrey to just getting that hand in there and forcing the ball. Unfortunately, this game, those forced fumbles weren't recovered by the Ravens as they have been so gloriously in some other games this year. But I just think that he, gosh, just having a young talent like that already locked up. Um, I think he's one of the, if not the best top corners in football right now. Um, love watching him play. Love the energy that he brings. He's just such a, he's a fun guy to watch and he's out there having fun. I loved after the Tyus Bowser interception, you could see even on the broadcast, him screaming and running after Tyus, just so excited. He's like a kid out there having fun. And they just Mm -hmm. watching Marlon Humphrey play football gives me joy. (laughs) And I'm just so excited that he's going to be in a Ravens uniform. Yeah. He looks, he he really looks like he's a great teammate on the field. The, The eight force fumbles, He's only two shy of the NFL record right now. Now, they haven't been keeping that for very long, 21 years. But Tillman had 10, and two other guys had 10 who were pass rushers. O.C. Yomanura is one of them, and I forget who the other one is. But that's not out of range, and his total is already the seventh highest in NFL history, of course, since they've been keeping those records. Um, Marlon Humphrey did a lot of other great things in this game that were not maybe as recognized. Mayfield dropped back 48 times. How many times was Marlon Humphrey targeted? Three. Out of, out of all those. So that's that tells you the kind of respect he gets. One of them was a PD. Another one, there was an overthrow out of bounds on the left sideline to Higgins. So, uh, you know, he, it wasn't like he gave up a bunch of a, a bunch of, uh, you know, passes in order to get those forced fumbles. Uh, it, it, was, it was fairly remarkable. In fact, one was Smith's target that he came in and got the uh, forced fumble on. One of the interesting plays of the game, obviously, he gave up the, the, the touchdown to Hunt at the end of the game. And there's something interesting going on there because it was a cover three play that got busted. I had a little talk with a PFF guy about this today, but one of the points he made is that Board, who would have had underneath coverage responsibility on that side, actually had to follow that seam route a little bit deeper, respect that. And that meant Humphrey had to come up and take the, take the um, uh, hunt uh, in the shallow zone. But in so doing, he had to make a difficult tackle in space. One of the things you do to give yourself a better chance there is to take leverage to one side because you know your teammate is going to help you. So in his case, despite the fact it looks really silly, he took outside leverage on Hunt closer to the sideline to try and force that ball back towards where he thought the tackler would be. You could see Humphreys upset at the end of that play, kind of palms out to board, but board apparently... What he did after he released the seam route was not to come back to be in the right position to make that tackle. Humphrey was kind of upset about that pretty clearly. Yeah, it looked like there's a little miscommunication there. So that's definitely one I think they'd both like to have back. But, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty on that one. There you go. I'll take a player. I'll go with Tyus Bowser. Obviously, we talked about his interception. I think one of the things that's going unnoticed is is he's really played better in the run game this week. And he took on tight ends in particular very effectively. I have some good notes in the article if you want to go see that. Um, he's They use him so often to cover 
You'll often see, you know, situations where he seems to be covering a wide receiver where you would not normally expect that. But there, there was a play late in the third quarter where Chuck Clark actually signaled for him to be in a certain shallow zone position where Landry converted on fourth and four. That was unfortunate. Uh, but otherwise, I thought he was absolutely outstanding. Had had. Um, uh, Pressure in the game. He had a couple of nice edge setting plays on the left side. Just overall, just another outstanding game. And the interception obviously was the was the crown jewel. He's been a guy I just have been waiting for until this season to have those breakout games. You know, ever since he came to the Ravens, he he's been the one that's last in the locker room, you know, getting treatment, doing all the right things, taking care of his body. You'll see him going out and getting in extra work, all those kinds of little things that you know are going to add up someday. And I'm just so happy to see them kind of paying off now. And I've been talking about him all season long. I just think he's having a fantastic year and really excited to see like what, where his career takes him from here. Cause every year it was just, you know, you'd hear coach Harbaugh and wing say like, Tyus, he's like right there, you know, and you're just mm-hmm. waiting for him to break through and make a play. And now he's finally, you know, I think it's just a comfort level in the defense, knowing, you know, all the schemes a little better now that he's been here for a few years and having that comfort, the confidence to go out and make a play and having that kind of, you know, instinct that comes with experience. You know, he was, I think a lot of people at least perceived that he was being put in the same class as Tim Williams. Now, Tim Mm -hmm. Williams had some issues with learning special teams and some issues, I think, also probably with some attitude and work ethic things. Did you ever perceive that to be the case with Bowser, that early on in his career, he maybe had more of that? I think you're right. I think there was a point where he was kind of being lumped in that category just based on discussions, you know, um, on the record, like quotes from coaches, but I think it was never, it was never an attitude or work ethic problem with Tyus. I think it was just, again, to kind of how I said earlier, like waiting for him to kind of be able to make that jump to kind of feel the game a little better. And Tyus is definitely not one you'll ever hear people complain about his attitude or his work ethic. And I think that that was, it did end up being an issue, um, in the other case. Mm-hmm. And obviously that person's no longer with the team. So I think that is very telling. Um, but Tyus, I think they're very excited to see him make that jump. But I think that's a credit to what he did this off season, you know, having to do the off season program on your own. It's a lot that falls on you, you know, and the guys had to come in and be ready. And I think that he has shown that he, he was ready, you know, like he did the work this off season on his own. He, he got there. And I think that's definitely paying off. Yeah, you know, a fourth-year player, if you can't afford to invest in your own career as a fourth-year player, right. I can't help you, fella. Because, <laughs> because you know, there's been a, now a succession of Ravens players who've done a very good job with that. Obviously, Zadaria Smith falls into that category. Mm-hmm. But Ryan Jensen was a big tub of goo before his fourth season. <laughs> and, and he went to that off-season program, and he leaned down, worked very hard, got in great shape, had a, got a four-year, $42 million contracted center with basically one good starting season. I mean, if you can't do that for yourself, if you can't invest for yourself to that matter, boy, can't help you. Right. That's, you got to make your money at that point. It's on you. You know, then when you're on that rookie deal, it behooves the team to keep you until it doesn't. And once you're up, you're not going to pay you if you haven't shown out. And yeah, I love that. I love Zadarius Smith having success up in Green Bay too. He was definitely a fun one to work with. So it's good to see that you know, sometimes those guys go into other teams, they don't have the same success that they've had at the Ravens, but he has definitely lit it up up there the last two years. Yeah. We'd like the, the ones who go to the NFC, we probably are okay with that <laughs> happening. If they're going into their AFC season. Uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Your turn. You have another player you want to talk about? 
Yeah, let's go Marcus Peters. We'll go. I'm going to stick with the, the cornerback duo here. Um, I think when healthy, this is the best corner duo in the NFL. I don't think there's really any question in my my admittedly slightly biased mind. Um, you know, I think we talked about it earlier. He's obviously been struggling with some injuries throughout this season. But just the attitude, again, I, I referenced that running back out onto the field, you know, when he wasn't even cleared to be out there, but he was going to go make a play. And I just think his toughness, you know, and his mindset for the game, I love that. I love having him out here. They're just the two, the do. I'll always go back to, especially when we're playing, talking the Browns here, when he signed that extension with the Ravens and Jarvis Landry responded to the NFL's tweet about the extension. And I, I think he said something like, oh, goody, you're like, can't wait. To, you know, like basically joking that he was excited to get to face this guy twice a season. And Marcus Peters has a dub in both of them this year. So, you know, Jarvis Landry is obviously a great talent, but you look at his his stat sheet from the two games against the Ravens and he's, he's Baker's go-to guy. And um, the Ravens have done a great job covering him. Um, but I just love having the Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey duo out there, especially, you know, like we talked about, Jimmy Smith is obviously battling some injuries, but when healthy, the secondary is just top notch. Um, but I've, I think Marcus, that trade last year in the middle of the year. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough and the ones who know we're tougher together. For the Pathfinders breaking new ground, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you, so you can always depend on us. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Um, I give DaCosta a lot of credit for that one because I think that he has just been a, a game changer for this Ravens defense out there. Yeah, fantastic trade. I don't think anyone would dispute that at all. Just great value. And then they got him at a pretty good price, I think, for three years, a very reasonable price on the contract. And even with COVID dollars on the cap, it's not a contract that I regret in any way. I mean, I love the love the, the contracts on the books. Uh, if I if we want to talk about Jimmy Smith for a second, because you just mentioned him, obviously didn't get a whole lot of play out of him in this game. I know he's working like hell to to get on the field and stay on the field. What Jimmy Smith has done for this team this year in terms of his flexibility to play safety, mm-hmm. to cover a tight end, to do the other things that they've asked him to do early in the year, just to play the back end in a dime role and allow Clark to move up front and and have a third safety so that they could be an effective dime unit early in the year. Then moving to outside corner again with not a reasonable expectation, frankly, that he'd still be any good at being one of the best in the league again when he was healthy at, at, at that position, I think is remarkable. And, and even if the season ends up with him playing spottily down the stretch, I think we really need to appreciate just what a value Jimmy Smith has been to this team, this franchise the last few years and, and this year in particular. Absolutely. If we can get some snaps out of Jimmy every game, even if they have to limit them just to keep him healthy and keep him out there, I think that's definitely valuable. I mean, the dude is just his athleticism, you know, again, the I don't know what the word for it, the humility, I guess, of being a veteran guy like he is. You could have gone somewhere else in the offseason, maybe gotten more playing time, maybe it wouldn't have worked out. But, you know, I think that 
that just is a credit to Jimmy and who Jimmy is. He's a teammate. He's going to do whatever this defense needs him to do to your point. And just, again, credit to Wink for, you know, being able to use his unique skill sets in different ways. But I just think that, again, he's just such a, just an asset to this team and just even having him in the locker room, you know, he just brings so much knowledge to the secondary that I think he's valuable and hopefully that he can still be making plays, even if they have to use him in limited opportunities going through the rest of this, this season. All right. Let's talk a little mailbag for a second. I'm going to talk my deep, my defensive MVPs, by the way, if you have three, you want to say we can go three to one or, or I'll just go, I'll just talk about mine. If you have roughly the same list. No. Yeah. I liked your list. That's cool with me. Okay, so number three, Pernell McPhee. We talked about what he did. A lot of pressure in this game. Also set the edge well against the run. The one thing we didn't mention about McPhee when we talked about him is the Ravens cut down on his snaps in their four outside linebacker package. He's usually normally always a part of that. But they cut down in this game because they needed him more as an edge setter. And, you know, he's adapted from being a pass rusher exclusively to an edge setter also. And he, and he did it all in this game. So great. Two quarterback hits early, two other pressures. Lots of good edge-setting notes. Go see the article if you want to see them. Tyus Bowser, we both mentioned, obviously, multiple times in the show. Great game here. And Marlon Humphrey's number one in this one for me. Uh, everything. Forced fumbles, offensive pass interference drawn, everything else he did. My defensive MVPs, anything to say about those guys? I'll add something about Marlon. Go. He's just a baller. You know, like at the end of the day, he's just going to make a play. He goes out and balls. And Wink Martindale always says that Marlon could have balled out in any era. And I think that's so true. I think he'd be hard pressed to find a game where he wouldn't be the defensive MVP. So he's just going to go out there and ball. Yeah, he's a very physical guy. He could have done easily played 1970s cornerback and been the Mel Blunt of that era. Absolutely. What do you have for us, Josh? All right, we've got a very full mailbag today. Uh, for some reason, people are paying attention to this game and watching it. That's good. So, all right, we're going to try to focus on the defensive side. Um, so, first up is uh, about Jordan Richards. Is he that valuable on special teams for the Ravens that it's worth deactivating an extra uh, DL or DB last night? Uh, I think that Mark Ingram is the first guy on the chopping block when it comes to that. So, we talked a little bit about it early. What do you think, Cassie? I mean, the Ravens love their special teams guys. You know, that's always been a, a staple that if a guy really is that valuable on special teams, I think that's the question, you know. But yeah, I think we'll be interested to see what that happens with that going forward. Christian Welch played 19 snaps. He's a core special teamer who's in there. You don't see it all on defense. The guy who might you might legitimately make a case for being cut on special teams is Prochet. He only had two punt return snaps. He doesn't do anything else on this team right now. He's hardly been used as a wide receiver. So if you wanted to make a case for somebody else to be deactivated, I think it would be Ingram first and then Prochet. I don't think this team can really afford to have four running backs and only four corners going forward. Yeah, Prochet has made some good decisions back there, but you're right. I think there are guys that might be capable of carrying that load going forward. All right. Uh, what do you uh, attribute to the pre-snap chaos that we saw on the defensive side of the ball this week? Was it the Browns' tempo or something else going on? Okay, so they had 12 on the field once. They had 10 on the field when— And don't forget 15. And, 15. Yeah, <laughs> that's how they counted it up. It may have been 15 of the snap, may not have been. In any case, it was very bad. They had 10 on the field when the Browns had a false start. So that was an unusual kind of a kind of thing too. The Ravens have uh, unfortunately they've been playing shorthanded with some regularity on both offense and defense the last couple of years. A high substitution defense like Winks 
which conserve snaps will occasionally find themselves in this position where they just don't get the signal done quickly enough or they don't get the exchange done quickly enough that they get the right number of players on the field. Right. And I think you add in some of the late game injuries there and, you know, shuffling guys in and out who's actually available to play. It just kind of adds up to a lot of confusion. All right. Um, all right. What's the base zone coverage that Wink has been calling? And with talented corners, why have they moved away from press man coverage? Well, I think we saw more press man in this game, but basically they're trying to play zone when they have a lead like they did against Dallas. They give up a ton of yardage to Dallas on medium range passes that weren't big plays. So you have a lot of 10, 11, 12 yard throws while they led by 17, for example, in that game. It was just good football strategy to do that. And I don't think that anybody could look at what Dallas did on offense and really say they beat the crap out of the Ravens. They did have 29 first downs, but they they had they're forced to go down the the field at a very methodical pace. And the Ravens really controlled the pacing of that game in the second half. Other times when they want to get the the blitz going, they they'll are happy to get up and play some press man, and they did in this game some. All right, uh, let's close it out with Connor's question. Uh, with only three games left and hopefully of lesser opponents is what we're uh, assuming, do you think the Ravens should rest Campbell and Jimmy Smith uh, to get them ready for some postseason? You want to take this one, Cassie? Sure. I. Uh, that's a tricky one. I think it's really going to come – uh, I could go either way. You know, I'm battling in my mind back and forth because I want them healthy for the playoffs 100%, but I also want to get to the playoffs, yeah. you know. <laughs> and we're not really in a position where we can be making strategies for the playoffs when we're not there yet, you know. You look back to last year, and yeah, sure, we were able to rest guys in the season and get them healthy because the playoffs had already been locked in. But that AFC race is very up for grabs right now, and it could go so many different ways that I'm – and I think if I'm if I'm Calais Campbell or I'm Jimmy Smith, and I am sure they are this way this week, they 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 want to be out there. You know, they're not going to be cool with sitting if they're able to go again. Like we talked about earlier, I'd expect limited snaps for them going forward, but using them in key moments where they their experience and expertise is is valuable and their talent. I think that you know that's what we'll see going forward. But they're going to be fighting to be out there for sure. That's a great point. I think the limited snaps is certainly something that that Martindale can handle because he's been so good as, as, as a substitution defense. And in Jimmy Smith's case, if you really want to keep Jimmy out of the game, but keep him as a viable weapon that you have on the bench, go ahead and, and don't start him. I mean, that option is available. I, I said at the beginning of the season, I didn't really want them playing him at safety, even though that versatility ended up being very valuable because I thought he was too valuable as the fourth cornerback. It's still the, the, the thing still applies now. If you've got Jimmy Smith as your fourth corner and he can still play and he's on your bench, then he's the ace of spades sitting on the bench. That's, that's wonderful. I, I want that. I think every team would love to have Jimmy Smith as their fourth corner. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for the mailbag. Now we got a whole bunch of offensive questions, so we'll get into that tomorrow. Uh, Cassie, thanks for joining us. What can we uh, plug and promote for you? Oh, well, thanks for having me, guys. You can catch me on the show every week on the Ravens Instagram and Snapchat and website. And, you know, hit me up on Twitter. I love talking to the fans. Um, one of the mo my most favorite parts of the job is getting to interact with all of you all. So I, and I really appreciate both of you for having me on here tonight. It was a lot of fun.
Well, if if it's all interacting with the fans, I'm assuming this week the show is all going to be about running to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, a lot of lot of bathroom humor this week, so that'll be that'll be a fun one for sure. That's <laughs> good. That's going to be around for the rest of his life. I I I I don't think he'll elevate above this very easily. It's just it's just something that's going to be part of who he is now. Uh, but anyway, no, anyway, he's got to embrace it and sell the t-shirt. I'm sure he will. He's got that you know great marketing mind. They always. Right capitalize on those opportunities so i have no doubt cassie thanks so much for joining us here it's a pleasure to have you you have so much great inside the organization information really have appreciated this conversation and also what you know about football just fantastic appreciate you guys so much thanks again all right and ken uh so this week we've got a full week of shows normal schedule pretty much as we uh all get ready for sunday uh, offensive breakdown tomorrow off the offensive uh, breakdown will be tomorrow. The the know your foe. The day after that, we have a great guest, Lori Fitzpatrick from the Jaguars, who we we're lo- really looking forward to. Uh, maybe somebody even Cassie knows. And then on Thursday, we have the uh, well, well Friday actually by the numbers with Dan Reese. All right, and then check out section three thirty six. It's a new episode out there now, and now's the time to get on board with the Orioles and start to learn some of these young names, like Chris Davis, who's still going to be with the team. Uh, he is not apologizing for that contract. <laughs> so, but Ken, I could have told you. I'm down here near Jacksonville. I can tell you everything that's going on with the Jags down here. Everyone cares about Minshew, and that's about it. That's right. They, He's coming back. They're all excited. They're all excited about that. Okay. Yeah. So, don't know why, but that's the that's the tone down here. So, all right. Well, we will talk again on film study. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough. And the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you. So you can always depend on us. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.